Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Well, happy uh, May 2-4 weekend, and it's, it's May 19th, but it's May 2-4 weekend. You get that one? Because I don't. Um, and, and for those maybe who, who aren't originally from Newfoundland, there's a huge significance to this weekend because if there's anyone missing, chances are they're probably in a tent this morning. Can you imagine that? So if you're listening online from your cell phone and you're in your tent and you're cold and wet, we greet you in the lovely, warm name of the Lord from at one Eskasoni place where the heat is nice, it's nice and dry here, and, and uh, it's, it's good. So we're just thankful that you've taken the time to join us today, and uh, especially those who are here for the first time or if you're visiting uh, the, t- the city for the weekend, maybe you came in from out of town just because you wanted to visit Costco in Savanger one more time before it makes the move to Galway, maybe you came in for that, um, or maybe you're just here because a friend invited you or you came across our website, whatever the case may be, we're so glad that you've taken the time to be with us this morning and uh, join us. My name is, is Justin. I'm the assistant pastor here at this uh, wonderful church, Bethesda, and we're just so glad that you've uh, taken the time to join us and be with us. Uh, this morning, um, I just want to talk about uh, this topic of, of new. And, and as I begin, just by the show of hands this morning, I'd like for everyone, as many people to participate as possible, how many here this morning would say you like getting something new? You like getting new things? All right, that's pretty much everybody. Maybe some people in the room are like, no, I just like the old, old things. I like getting old, old stuff. I just like getting old, just, you know, just things that are worn out, you know. No, I think most of us like getting new things. What are some of the new things that you like to get? Just, just tell me, don't be afraid. Somebody. Say, what's that? New car. New, new car. That would be wonderful. We're going to do that. We're going to give one away today, actually. No, we're not. <laughs> New car, how, anyone else? Something like you like to get that's new? Clothes, clothes, okay, anyone else? New phone, I heard that. Did someone say friends? <laughs> you need to get new friends, yeah? Maybe that that's, could be true, absolutely. Anyone else, a couple more? New life, oh, you're, you're stealing my thunder here now in a minute. You're, you, maybe I'll get you to preach. Uh, anyone else, another one? Sorry? A new home, a new home, yeah. There's so many different things, and I was just thinking through some of the things that I like to get that are new, and you know, I was thinking, yeah, new, new clothes is, is nice. I'm surprised none of the, none of the ladies said new shoes, because if my wife was here at this service, she'd say new shoes, I know. I see it in my house, no. Uh, for me, I love getting a new pair of socks, anybody? Yeah, just something about a new pair of socks, putting them on for the first time is something nice about a new pair of socks, just so my, my toes aren't sticking out through the holes anymore, you know? Uh, new shoes, new socks, you know? Um, to me, a new toothbrush. I love getting a new toothbrush. I don't know about you, like getting a new toothbrush for the first time, not having to use someone else's. <laughs> new toothbrush. You set me up with a new pair of socks and a new toothbrush, and I'm happy. I'm happy. This week I had to get new tires for one of my vehicle and I had to spend a lot of money on rubber. And, uh, but it's, it's important, it'll keep you safe on the roads. And so, you know, some things I like once they're there. It's nice to drive a car with new tires, you can feel that difference, but whew, paying that, that bill is not fun, is it? But anyway, I think most of us would say we enjoy new things. There's, there's something about replacing something that's old 
with something that's new. There's something about replacing something that's worn out or tired, right, with something new. There's, there's something about uh, replacing something that's damaged or that's been broken with something that's new. And this morning I have some good news that I'd like to share and the good news is that Jesus came so that each and every one of us could receive something new. The greatest gift that we could ever receive and, and that's new life. Someone said it already. To receive new life. And, and that's the good news this morning. Not only does he offer new life, but it comes in a, in a bit of a package because new life brings about a new hope. It brings about a new future. It brings about a, a new perspective or outlook, perhaps, on life. So there are th- so many things that are attached to having new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and kind of the foundation of, of where I, I, I was thinking when I was going down this road of new, the, the, the text says, and Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Turn to someone close by and say, the new is here. The new is here. So that's the good news I want to share for the next few moments with you this morning. And if this is a message that's new for you, if this is a message that maybe you never heard this good news before, maybe it's some, you've been living for Christ, you've been, you've been serving the Lord many, many years, and so this is not a new thought but maybe you're somewhere in between that. I pray that God will speak to each and every one of us uh, in a new and, and fresh way this morning, amen? The truth is that each and every one of us, nobody excluded, needs to be made new if we wanna be in right standing with God. There has to come a point in our lives where we are made new in order for us to be in right standing with God. And if I were to ask you as an individual, do you wanna be in right standing with God? I don't know if anyone would say, nah, I don't really want to be in right standing with God. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you want to be in right standing with God, and I think that's most of us here today, then you need to be made new. The Bible teaches us about this, and we're going to look at it for the next little bit. Scripture tells us, Romans 3, 23, and there's so many verses of Scripture I could uh, use to explain why it is that we need to be made new, but this kind of captures it in in a short sentence. It says this, it says, for all have sinned, and that word all in the Greek simply means all Okay, got that one? All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us are in the same place. We're all in the same boat. Uh, When we're born, we we were born into a world of sin. And since the beginning of mankind, since the original sin, then from that point forward, each and every one of us has this disease of sin that's a part of our lives. But I wanna tell you this morning, God came to make you new and God came to make us new today. And so that's, where we need to go. And, and I want to clarify right away that what scriptures teach us about this remedy for sin that we're going to talk about, the remedy for sin is, is a new life, like we already talked about. It's not a new religion. It's not about religion. What I'm talking to you about this morning isn't about a, a list. It's not about a, a list of do's and don'ts and rules and, and, and law and things like that, because you're going to see that actually Jesus came to, to kind of push that aside so he could introduce a new way for us to know him. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning, the cure for sin is not about religion, it's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, out of his own words, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am a way, one way of many ways. 
But he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're going to look at that this morning because salvation is possible with and through a relationship and faith in Jesus Christ. And so for the next few moments, I'd like to unpack uh, uh, just a little bit more and look at this new covenant or new way that God established through Jesus and how this new covenant uh, is the reason that we can experience new life, new hope, and a new future. So God, I just pray in the next few moments that you would again uh, just speak clearly through your servant. I pray that the words that you've kind of laid on my heart, that you would just take them and, and speak through me. I pray that that people wouldn't see me, but they would see Jesus because you're the one that we, we need to look to today, all of us. And I just pray that you would just open our hearts to receive it today in Jesus' name, amen. So the kind of the key passage for us this morning that I wanted to just, just to read with you and we're gonna unpack is, is from 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And this has to be one of my favorite scriptures uh, in, in the Bible. And when you ask, you know, we talk about new life. Well, how can I have new life? How is that possible? What do I have to do? How, how, did, how is that for me? Well, this text here kind of sums it all up and we're gonna unpack this a little bit together over the next little while. Paul wrote these words, the apostle Paul. And he said, he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin or to be a sin sacrifice for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, he was sinless, to be sin, to be a, a sin sacrifice, in other words, for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of the most incredible verses in all the Bible, in my opinion, and essentially this is the gospel message summed up in one verse. It's, there's so much to this one verse and so much truth here that, that, that we need to know and understand. Now, I'm gonna unpack what this verse is saying in just 23 words, I think it is. But in these days of such doctrinal and moral and theological confusion in the world and so many people believe different things and see different things, and see it different ways, it's important, it's vitally important that the church be resolved to stand firm with this message, the gospel message and the truth of God's word. And as we look at this verse from 2 Corinthians 5, 21, there are kind of three parts to this verse that I'm gonna kind of take out one part at a time and, and expand on. And, and I'm gonna do that by, by outlining three things. First of all, it's gonna be his character, talking about Jesus' character. We're gonna look at his sacrifice, and then thirdly, we're going to look at his finished work. All right? So we'll do this together. First of all, I want to talk about his character. His character. That first phrase in this, in this verse, it says that God made him who had no sin. His character. No sin. You see, this phrase is speaking to Christ's character. And Paul begins with the fact that Jesus had no sin. Some versions say that he knew no sin. And this is referring to the fact that, that, that the sinless nature of his inner being was even sinless. There was no sin outwardly because he didn't even have any sin on the inside. Like he, he was pure in that way. And when Jesus walked this earth, he did so without sin. He was perfectly righteous, without fault, without sin, without evil. And he never did anything that was sinful. And he always walked in obedience to the Father and the will of the Father. And this is crucial for us to understand because if Christ had sinned, he could not be our savior. If Christ had sinned, he could not be our savior because a sinner could not pay for the sins of someone else. 
That's, that, it wasn't possible. And so we will see in the next few moments that the sacrifice for humanity had to be made by one who was without fault, who was without sin. This was a, a non-negotiable. And because of the sin nature of humanity, there was only one way this was possible. Because since, since the fall, since sin entered the world, everyone that's born, it, 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 was, it, it was understood that the, the sin came through the seed of, of, of the man. And so for everyone who's born, you're born with this sin nature. But, but we're about to see that the son of God who was born of a virgin, who was born because he, uh, Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit, there was no other way. So God sent his son through this way to be the perfect sacrifice. Well, how do we know that Jesus Christ was sinless? I mean, scripture has a lot to say about the sinless life of Christ. There's so many verses that could point to that, but I think some of the best examples in a short amount of time that I could show you would be the words of some of his adversaries. Because see, if it's a friend of Jesus or a follower of Jesus that said Jesus was sinless, well, they could perhaps be biased toward him. They could say, well, of course he was sinless. He was, he was the one we followed. He was the one. And friends of him might give him the benefit of the doubt. But you see, an adversary doesn't do that. Someone who maybe was against Jesus or against the message or what he was doing would take any little thing they could find and probably exaggerate it if they could. So they would take the smallest things, the smallest uh, 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 fault in Jesus and exasperate that or exaggerate it to the fact of saying he was sin, he had sin. But if we look at the words of his adversaries, they even admit that Jesus was sinless. We got examples and four examples I have here. One is, is Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, he, was not in this, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He, he wasn't bought into this whole thing. And he, he, was, he was unbiased in all ways. But when he looked at the situation, he said with his own words, he said, I find no fault in him. I can't find anything in his life that is a fault. King Herod and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were trying to push the, the fact that they wanted Jesus to be crucified and they couldn't even find anyone to bear witness against Jesus. So they had to, to get false witnesses and, and create lies in order for him to even be arrested to be crucified because they could not find a witness toward Jesus having fault. Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus, the, the disciple that betrayed Jesus and, and sold him out for, for simply a bag of silver, he, he later said after the fact, and he said this, he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. He came to the realization that I've betrayed an innocent one here. He is completely innocent. The Roman centurion, one who was helping to be responsible for the death and, and, and death and crucifixion of Jesus, he himself stood at the cross as he watched Jesus die. And he said, surely he must have been the son of God. And so people who weren't even necessary followers of Jesus, people who were maybe adversaries to him, could not find sin in him. There are so many examples of that. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, even the ones that crucified him said, he is the one who's the son of God. He's without sin. Jesus knew about sin. He was tempted in all ways, the Bible tells us. But he had never sinned, not even once. He lived in a sinful world but it never tainted his character. Of all the billions of people who've ever lived, he's the only one that could truly say that he never sinned in word, in thought, in action. Every other person has been born into sin, like we said, except for Jesus, who was born of a virgin, conceived through the Holy Spirit. We sang it a moment ago. I believe in God the Father, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth, all of these things that we declare as a part of our belief and what we believe. 
This is the only way that there could be a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. The sacrifice had to be the Son of God. And I'm so thankful that God had a plan from the very beginning. And John writes, and many of you would know these words, even if you didn't grow up in church, you would know these words from John 3, 16. It says, for God, you can say this with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm so thankful that God knew that he could make a way through his son and that's who he gave, his son Jesus, so that we could have a way. So that's his character. That first part of that verse, him who had no sin. Secondly, second observation, his sacrifice, his sacrifice. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to be sin for us. This is speaking of the sacrifice that was necessary to accomplish something that we couldn't do on our own, that we couldn't do. Jesus, the, the sinless son of God, became sin. In other words, he, was, he stood in our place. He never sinned, but he took upon himself sin of us, of us. How could this be? This is not saying that he became a sinner. That wouldn't be possible. He never committed a sin. But perhaps the best way to understand this is that God treated his son. He treated Jesus as if he were a sinner. The weight of all humanity's sin was placed on Jesus. And that's important, and we'll, we'll unpack the, the importance of that in, in a moment. It wasn't his own sin, but it was your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and my sin. That's what was placed upon Jesus. That was placed upon him, and he took that to the cross. And I'd like for us to, to look at the writer of Hebrews and how he describes this price that was paid. And you see, the work of Jesus becoming sin for us was so significant. And, and, and in this text, he takes what was the old system, the old way of, of kind of trying to appease God through sacrifice. And then he, he shows how, how Jesus came to introduce a new system and a new way of, of coming to, to, to God. And, and so I want to unpack these next few verses for a few moments. And I hope you can understand what this text is saying the writer of Hebrews says, he says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. And by the way, those good things have come. They are here. The law is talking about the Old Testament law, the Pharisaic law, the 600 plus rules that, that they were trying to, to follow and the system that was established in the Old Testament for Israel. The law is only a shadow. It, it's, just, it's just kind of, it, it's, it's just something that's going to show later of what's, what's going to come. It's not the reality of uh, themselves. For this reason, it can never, this old way, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who can, who draw near, who draw near to worship. You see, the Old Testament priests, the, the Levitical priesthood, they, they would offer sacrifices. They would sacrifice the blood of, of an animal, and, and this would at least temporarily appease God's wrath toward his people and toward the sin of the Israelites. But this was something, something that they had to repeat over and over and over again. They had to keep doing these rituals, these, these things. Verse two, otherwise... Would they not have stopped to be offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. In other words, 
What he's saying is, can you imagine if for the Israelites, if they could have had one sacrifice, what if one sacrifice would have taken care of their sins forever? What if, what if they could have, you know, what if one sacrifice could have, could have forgiven them and they didn't have to keep sacrificing animals and watching them bleed and hoping that there was enough for God? Can you imagine what life would have been like if only one sacrifice had been enough to appease God and to, to cover their sin? And, and I like how the writer of Hebrews is, he's kind of taken us back so we can say, you know, wouldn't it have been great if the Israelites didn't have to keep doing this over and over again? It would have been nice if the Israelites had one sacrifice that would totally forgive and remove sin. Wouldn't that be great? Verse three, it says that these sacrifices, next verse, but those sacrifices, they're an annual reminder of sins. They had to do it year after year. Every time they made these sacrifices, it was a reminder that you've sinned, that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short that you're a pro- you have a problem, you better stop it. Look at the price, look at, look, at, look at the penalty of your sin. And it would be just this reminder, the theme of their lives was sin. The theme of their lives was always this, this system of, of needing to appease God. You see, this is what would happen. It was called the Day, day of Atonement. And the high priest would come out and they would find two of the most blemish-free, the most perfect animals. And they would set them before the whole nation of Israel. And, and people would come out and for the past 12 months, they would take all the sins that they committed and the high priest would come out and he would sacrifice an animal. There was this ritual they had to, they had to do and he had to sprinkle blood in certain places. He had to go into to, to the temple in certain ways. And there was a, this ritual that had to be followed. And then... This was so symbolic. Then he would take the other animal, the one that they didn't uh, sacrifice, and the priest would lay his hands upon the head of that animal. And this was symbolic that he was laying the sin of all of Israel upon this innocent victim. And so they would lay his hands upon this, this lamb and they would, he would put the sins of Israel upon this and then they would take that lamb into the wilderness and drive it away and they would get rid of it. Far, far away. And, and this was to show the removal of sin. It was, it was a removal of sin by placing it on an, in, on an innocent victim and then taking it away. But you see, what the goat was doing and what it represented symbolically, Jesus was going to do literally. This was the life of the Israelites 10,000 or, or thousands, sorry, thousands of years before Jesus. And, and the priests were busy. I mean, these priests were busy, as you can imagine. The priests would have uh, people outside of the, the tents, and they would have to keep making these sacrifices time and time again. Yet the scripture says in verse 4 that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It couldn't take the sin away. It would just momentarily appease God. It was kind of a band-aid solution for the moment. And it was a shadow of the things that were to come because God had a plan. Verse five, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. These, these sacrifices were not, were not doing the job. Then he said, here I am, Jesus said. I have come, Lord, to do your will. He sets aside the first, he takes that old system. He wants to set it aside so that he can establish a new way of relating to God, a new system, a new approach. And by that will, next verse, 
And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Everyone say this together. Once for all. Say it again. Once for all. That's important to understand. Verse 11. Day after day. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices. Again, he's reiterating that it cannot take away sins. I mean, poor priest. Can you imagine being a priest in those days? For anyone who liked animals, you would never want to be a priest. My goodness. It was the worst if you liked animals. But, but, but this system, it was, just, it was just messy. And I think you got the picture by now. But now I want to show you the greatest picture and paint the greatest picture of human history. It's next verse, verse, verse 12. I love this. But when this priest, <laughs> I was talking about Jesus, when this man, when this priest had offered for all time <laughs> one sacrifice for sins, for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice for sins forever. One sacrifice for all time. One sacrifice on the middle cross in Calvary. Jesus bled and died and breathed his last. And when Christ died on the cross, he took my place and he took your place. And he took the place of the very people that were responsible for his death. Why did he do this? What did this accomplish? What opportunity did this provide humanity? Well, the last part of that verse, our key verse from Corinthians says this, <clears throat> talks about the finished, his finished and complete work or his, his finished work, his finished work. You see, the last part of that verse says, said this this way, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the finished work. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as I kind of bring this to a close in the band, the guys prepare to come back. This is so important. You see, he was condemned so that we might be justified, okay? He bore our sins so that we might be set free. He died so that we might live. He suffered so that we might be redeemed. And he was made sin so that we might become righteousness of God. He was made sin so that I might become righteous before God. Jesus gave his life on a cross. It didn't end there. His, his body was taken from the cross and was placed in the tomb. And if that's where the story ended, if that was the final scene of Jesus' body being placed in a tomb, the stone being rolled in front, if that was the final picture, then we wouldn't be gathered here today. That we wouldn't be here right now. If that was the final thing that happened, we would not be here right now having this conversation. We wouldn't. 
Because although it's an incredible example of love and of sacrifice, death, in this case, would have had the final word. But on the third day, but on the third day, Scripture teaches that following his death, we read in the Gospels that, that it started with three women who were on their way to the tomb. And, and, and as they were going to, 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 with some spices for the, for the body and, and things, they were there, they came, and they discovered that Jesus was no longer there. That the stone had been moved, and his body wasn't there. And an angel appeared to them and said, do not f- fear, don't, don't be afraid. He is risen, he is alive like he said he would be. And so in that moment, I mean, it must have been just, I don't know what the woman, women would have thought in that moment, but Jesus then appeared to them in the, just down the road a little farther. Jesus appeared to them. He appeared to his disciples on multiple occasions. It's documented that, that Jesus was seen after his resurrection by hundreds of people seeing Jesus post-resurrection. People spoke with him. They sat with him, people ate with him, had breakfast on a beach with him. They touched him, even, you know, if you doubt, just touch my hands, touch my side. And people, they seen for their own eyes. And that changed everything. History shows us that Jesus rose again. Death did not have the final say. Jesus now has the power over sin and over death. And he did something that we could never do for ourselves. Because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of his resurrection, we're able to now become the righteousness of God if we choose to accept. There is no more offering for sin. There is no more sacrifice required. There has been a finished and accomplished work. The work has been done, amen? The work is done. When you accept Jesus as your personal savior, God does not see us in our sin anymore. But what does he see instead? He sees his son. He sees Jesus who stood in our place. He sees the one that substituted our place. It's important to understand that Jesus did something for us we could not do. And, and because of that, if you accept Jesus, then God no longer sees us in our sin. But when he looks at us, he sees his son who took our place. When he sees me, he sees the blood of the lamb. He sees me as worthy, not as I am. He don't see me for who I am in my sin. He sees me as covered by Jesus and what he's done for us. And it's important that we rely and it's important that we, we stand firm in this message. And, and, and Paul wrote, and Paul is so brilliant. And, and one more verse of scripture I just want to bring out. He says this. He says, and if Christ is not risen, if this whole thing is not true, Paul is willing to put it on, put it all on the line. He says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is worthless and so is your faith. That's how sure he was because they seen the risen savior, that people seen Jesus not only die, not only be buried, but they seen him rise again and that changed everything. The, 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 The game just changed completely and all of a sudden people said, there is a way to God. Jesus is who he said he is. 
I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, if someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you should go with everything that guy says. And that's the truth that we know today, that Jesus died, yes, that he was buried, yes, but that he rose again and he was seen by many, so much so that people were willing to die for their faith. All of his disciples were willing to be tortured, to, be di- to die, to, 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 to see everything come to an end for them because they believed they stood firm, would not change their mind because they seen a risen Savior. It changed everything. It changed it all. And the fact that we're here today, the fact that we're here is because Jesus overcame. If Christ had not been risen, we wouldn't be here today. And if Christ had not risen, we wouldn't be having this conversation because the church would have fizzled out long ago. If this wasn't true, the church would never have made it. The gospels would never have survived. The early church would never have stood for their faith if Jesus wasn't who he said he was and didn't do what he said he would do. But history proves that Jesus was raised from the dead. And because of that, if Christ is risen, then our faith is full. Then our faith is genuine. And by accepting Christ, we are no longer in our sins. You see, Jesus rose from the grave so your sins would stay buried. Jesus rose from the grave so your sins would stay buried. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, sin would have still remained. Sin would have still overcame. Sin would have still had its, had its way with us. But because Jesus rose, then sin didn't have a hold any longer. And sin is buried. And sin is not more greater, is, is it? It's not more great than Jesus. And Jesus overcame it all. <clears throat> As a Christian, though you may still sin, though you may still make mistakes, and though you still may fall short, you are not in your sin. Sin doesn't define you. It doesn't have a hold on you, but you are a new creation for those of you who accept Jesus. By definition, I am no longer categorized as a sinner, but I am a son. You are a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. And through Jesus, I am made righteous. Just like it was impossible for the blood of the bulls and the goats to take away sin, it is impossible in our own attempts, in our own striving, in our own efforts to, to be a better person, to do more good, to, to see if my good outweighs my bad. It's impossible for me to earn God's favor. It's impossible, impossible for me to earn my way to God, but it's only the sacrifice of the sinless Savior, Jesus, who could conquer sin once and for all. God made him Jesus, who had no sin, that was his character, to be sin for us, that was his sacrifice, so that in him we might, this is the finished work, that we might become the righteousness of God. If you're here this morning and, and maybe this is new news for you, maybe you've never seen it th- this way before, maybe you've been trying other ways to make things right with God. I just want to give you some good news today. That to be right with God is simply to receive his free gift of salvation. To accept what Jesus did for you and not try to earn it on your own. 
New life can be yours today. There's no other way to be made righteous other than accepting this gift. And Paul explains that how we can do this and how we can receive new life. He says in Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, scripture says clearly you will be saved. You'll be saved. Would you just stand with me all across this room? So we just bring this to a close in a moment. But before I do, I truly believe that perhaps there are people here this morning that that you would like to be made new today because there's something in you that that you know maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You don't know what it is, but maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, you know what? Today is the day for you to be made new, for you to be made new, to receive this gift of grace and forgiveness. And so just for a moment, church, can we just... Just in, in this atmosphere of just worship, just if you're a believer, would you just, just pray? Just bow our heads, just close our eyes so that we're not distracted by, by things around us for just a, just a moment. And so if that's you, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I want to be made new. I need to make this step. I, I want to receive this free gift. Or maybe you once did that, once when, when, when in times gone by you accepted that gift and you know that where you are now, you're not standing in, 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 in where you should be with God. You're not standing and you're not living for God the way you should be. And today you just want to make a fresh stand and say, God, I want to be made new today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and I'd love to pray for you. Yeah? Is there anyone else? Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Today is your day. You can be made new. Whether that's for the first time or whether it's, you know what, I need to come back to you, God. I need to come back to you and receive this again. Whatever the case may be, we're going to pray. And as I pray this prayer, I want you to pray it after me. And again, there's nothing magical. There's nothing super spiritual about this prayer. What's important about this prayer is that we're doing what that last scripture said. It's just saying with our mouths what we believe in our hearts. And if you believe that Jesus died for you, that he was raised again by the power of God, and if you declare that, the Bible says that you are made new, you are saved. And so let's pray this prayer together as a church. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your son who came and gave it all for me. I believe Jesus died for me and that he rose again through the power of God. And in him, I can be forgiven. I accept your grace. I accept your love. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate what God... Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.